0: Welcome to Last Call with Jamie and Christian. Our guest today, Morgan Wider. Morgan, a speaker and author of The Worthy Wardrobe, which is, a re- which is a revealing connection between soul and style. As a personal style expert, Morgan has an amazing perspective with the first 10 years of her career at the corporate headquarters of both Old Navy and Carter's. Morgan also advises executives, entrepreneurs, and college students on how to increase their performance through their image. Morgan and I connected through a class we're both taking and I thought we'd need some style conversation for our platform um, the way she sees fashion and style as a superpower I believe uh, you will really enjoy Morgan welcome to last call how are you
1: hi thank you for having me I'm so excited to be here
0: yeah you know, I'm excited to have you you know I mean it's rare that that's feel like it, it's interesting I feel like basketball, And hip hop culture intersect. Um, but I don't know if we talk about it as much as much as we should about it it being about style. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. When when I walk around and I see the shoes people are wearing and uh the outfits they're wearing, it's right hip hop and it's it's NBA lifestyle. Um and so I thought this would be a great platform just to kind of talk through a little bit. Thanks for having me. This is
1: gonna be fun.
0: Absolutely. You know, talk a little bit just about your background. Uh, graduate from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., you've spent some time there. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> how, did you just, how did you get into fashion um, and how did you work your way into Old Navy and Carter's?
1: Uh, Jamie, and I went to Georgetown thinking I was going to be a, law- a lawyer like my dad. And he told me, if you're gonna be a lawyer, don't waste your degree on political science, be an economics major. And I hated economics and senior year, I was so burnt out. I was like, I don't want to take the LSAT. I'm gonna get a job. And I went to a career fair on campus and the Gap was recruiting. And I said, oh, well, I love the shop. Cool, and I know numbers. And that led into my first job being at Old Navy, the headquarters of the Gap in San Francisco, doing the merchandising and 10 years later, working at companies like Carter's and then making the leap out of my own in 2016. But it all started because I didn't want to take the LSAT. That's, actually, <laughs> that's how I got here.
0: Um, what's that corporate like culture like fashion-wise? Um, you know, like, like the Devil Wears Prada is one of my favorite movies. Um, so I'm sure that's a little sensationalized. But what's the corporate life like um, walking in there? I
1: make the distinction between what I did was retail, corporate retail. Devil Worst Prada is fashion. And I say that because what I'm passionate about and what I learned in those days in corporate retail is how everyday people shop. Hmm. Fashion, like Devil Worst Prada, which again is also one of my favorite movies, is like it's high fashion, it's the fancy stuff. Um, working at Old Navy and Carter's and Osh, gosh, for gosh, it was how do everyday people make the choice between bread, milk, and clothes for their kids? And how do we make sure that they're making choices for our product and why they're making those decisions? So I loved it. Um, I love being around product. It's a, if you're interested, like that world is a lot of numbers, but also still fashion. I got to talk to a lot of people. Like I would, when I was, um, starting on my career, my first job was on the men's team and I was the only girl, and only person of color. And so I would go out to bars and ask men like, hey, tell me about the polo shirt that you're wearing and where you bought it from. And like, I was collecting data and learning how people shop and their behaviors.
0: Why do we buy the clothes that we buy?
1: There's a lot, that is a, that is a really big question. Um, <laughs> And, and, and I think in a good retailer or stylist is always asking those questions. Is it, what are your hangups about your body? What's your budget? What are your friends wearing? What do you see on TV? What are you seeing on social media? What are the NBA players and, um, and rap artists pushing you towards? Like there's a, like there's an the internal choices that we make when it comes to buying our clothes, but then there's so many external factors, just like the same thing of what we choose to eat and, and consume content-wise, the same thing with our wardrobes. The choices aren't always our own.
0: Yeah. It's so, you know, I feel like, you know, in the nineties, you know, like, like, you know, the history of fashion, I know it not very well. Right. But, uh, the old Navy sort of like comes onto the market. It's like huge because, um, there's a lot of different options that you have in the same sort of style. And I felt like at the time growing up, this was like the first time that you sort of had that, uh, in, um, where, where you could go and pick out, you know, like they one time Overalls are super, super, yeah. super important, right? So You're we're aging
1: ourselves
0: now. to everybody. Right, so, but they're going to come back. Don't worry, they're going to come back. Um, And like when you see that, and I thought that Old Navy was really interesting because, again, like you could wear different colors, different stuff, and um, it's really the first time that was really available readily.
1: I'm very thankful that my first job was at Old Navy, kind of at the peak time of, Old Navy was at, at its peak over 1,000 stores across the United States. So there is this, a lot of people were buying and consuming our product. And we were kind of one of the first like fast fashions, like before it became trendy. Um, and again, it was about how do you provide quality and product to like everyday people? And that's what a lot of us can relate to. And, and that's what's what I'm so passionate about is how everyday men and women can feel good about their clothes without having to spend a lot of money.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll share some parts of the conversation we've had over the last few months is about fashion and clothes. You know, One of the things I thought was really interesting was how you really viewed a person's fashion as their superpower. Um, how, how do you kind of get to that mindset? You know, because I think it's really easy to sort of uh, copy what everyone else is doing. But how do you get to that to that place where you're confident enough to walk out of the house wearing what you want to wear because you feel good in it?
1: I think one of my favorite things about this younger generation, I'll, I'll, age myself and say that I'm 40, but looking at teenagers now and like 20 year olds, there's a sense of independence that they have that. I think a lot of us didn't have that early in our age. And I think, um, social media, yes, can be a big pressure. Like you have to look a certain way or buy certain things, but there is, I feel like a counterculture almost that kids and younger people are like i'm not going to blend in and play small and i love that and i think to get that confidence it comes from knowing who you are what are your what is your own internal superpower how do you want the world to see you and then spending time in stores trying things on finding what works and like literally finding out what makes you feel like you can fucking fly like you know like that's literally when it comes to like superhero vibe when, you, when I put this leopard shirt on, it's go time. Like, that's my thing. You know, someone else might put it on and be like, eh, it doesn't feel like me. But that's, it is a very innate, natural thing to try to, like, clothing are just an expression of our insides. And so how can you try things on and just see what feels good? And I love that a lot of when it comes to athletes, especially I work with college athletes all the time. I'm so impressed by their um, commitment to being individuals and sharing their own expressive style. It's so huge and so critical.
0: Yeah, let's go there. Let's talk about the, the college athletes that you work with. You, you know, I was a head college basketball coach for for a long time, and every year we'd sort of bring in a stylist or a person to come in. Now I'd bring you in. Yes. Um, and, you know, and so we, but I thought it was really important for them to have a nice outfit or have a couple nice outfits or even to understand how to dress how it all works together. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, a lot of times what we learn in our wardrobe is from our parents or, you know, who are generations ahead of us. Right. Um, And so having someone who that's their specialty, who can explain to you, this is what this is saying about you. Um, Just share a little bit about why you like working with college, college, college students um, and some of the things that you've learned along the way while working with them.
1: Oh, there's so much joy that I get with working with college students. I think the first thing that the, the the challenge sometimes working with college students is that y'all are often in athletic wear 24 seven, right? Like you get the benefit of like, you're, you have long days, you're going to class, you're going to practice and your flip flops and your 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 workout shorts and your tee is what you get to survive on um, because everyone knows that you're an athlete and and, and and comfort is important because your jobs, your job as a athlete is really gr- grueling. However, I think that I love working with these guys because there is often beyond behind all of the the, the college t-shirt and sweatpants. There is a sense of style that wants to be expressed. And it's my job to help these students express their uniqueness off the field when they're getting ready to go interview for jobs. You know, I don't know what the number is, but very few student athletes actually make it to the pros. And so when you are looking for jobs, how can you build a wardrobe that fits your body? That can be a challenge. Like I worked with gymnasts volleyball players, football players, um, track stars, like an athletic body can ironically be almost a harder type to dress because you're not a mainstream body. So how do you find clothes for women and men that's flattering, makes you feel good, but then also makes you stand out for the right reasons. It's ironic. A lot of times when I work with athletes, when I would first start working with them, they were so used to wearing only sweatshirts and t-shirts that they're like, when they had to get dressed up, it'd be like a boring black suit because that's all they knew how to do. Or like my mother, like you said, like my mother, my father told me to get a suit. That's all I know. But then you're not really expressing yourself. And so how can you stand out in addition to just being an athlete, but using your wardrobe to communicate how accomplished you really are?
0: Yeah. How, how do you feel about this leisure wear fad? Where it's <laughs> like everyone can be in leisure wear all the time. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? As a it star? has its
1: place. It absolutely has its place and it can be done well. And so like when I work with my kids and it's like, if you're going to an interview and if you have, I wouldn't wear maybe, I probably wouldn't wear J's, but like if there's another kind of sneaker that you could wear that is a little bit more in line or a little bit more polished, then try it. Like the lines have been blurred now of what professional business wear and business casual can mean. It's just always being appropriate and not looking too, too casual. Like I always tell people, look like you made an effort to show up to that meeting or to show up for that event. And if, and if you're in your J's and sweatshirt and t-shirt, that doesn't show that you're really making an effort. I,
0: I always struggle. Um, I, I, I struggle with this because the generation that's, that's I don't struggle with it personally. I, mm-hmm. I struggle with it when I watch this generation to kind of make these, I, I feel like they're sort of mistakes because mm-hmm. the person that's making that decision may not understand your fashion sense. Right. Yep. So like if you're wearing J's to that meeting, he may not understand or that woman across from you that's trying to hire you doesn't understand that you're dressing up for this. Yes. That's a statement yep. for you. Yep. Um, And and so I struggle because when I have this conversation with my students uh, and my players, it's like you you have to you have to dress up mm-hmm. and you have to understand what that looks like. Um. I feel like that is going to be a pretty big struggle because uh, you've been there. You've hired people before yep. the decision to say yes or no is such a small decision.
1: And um, I would even argue as a student athlete, if you are interviewing sometimes, especially if you're an athlete and a person of color, you also have to overcome a certain bias, right? So if you yeah. show up in J's or not looking typical professional, those biases or assumptions about what you may be as a black man or black women, you have to overcome in some way. So like, I tell people, pick your battles. If the J's are the thing that you are willing to live and die by and be willing to not get a job over, cool. That's like, if, that, if that's your thing, great. Just be aware of the potential consequences that come with that. If you are going into a place that like if J's are your inherent to your identity, then don't go interview for places that Jays might not be a right fit for. Like that's, but again, only you can make those decisions. It's just a matter of what. What are your non-negotiables when it comes to your image and, and and who you are?
0: Yeah, I think that's what and that's why that they we need a stylist. <laughs> we need people to kind of have those kind of conversations. I'll tell you the for me as a as an employee who I had women that worked for me as well, I think some of the harder conversations for me, um, that a lot of times I would just avoid would be when I had women employees who were dressing differently. Really um, like and like not what? knowing really
1: like
0: what? And not knowing what to say. Right.
1: You're really like, what do you mean by differently?
0: Um, I mean, definitely like uh, in a male dominated sport, mm-hmm. something that could be seen as provocative. Mm-hmm. Right. It might not be provocative for me, but it might be for someone else might see it that way. Um, you know, my my last year at GW, there was all these tweets going around about a female employee at another school, mm-hmm. which I think is completely inappropriate. But it was all based on her outfits through the season.
1: As a woman in male dominated industries, it can be very, very tricky and complicated of a line to walk when it comes to your style, because on the one hand, I am not at all saying that you need to look and dress like a man. I actually did that, that that my first, my first job at that old Navy men's team. I thought if I dressed in baggy jeans and and only t-shirts, like the men wouldn't notice me, or this is my way to be taken seriously. That doesn't work because you are part of your femininity is your, and whatever you define femininity is, is part of your superpower, right? Like you trying to be like someone else or another gender, gender identity aside doesn't help. But then, and also this is not to say that how someone what someone wears can be inviting inappropriate attention that ownership to behave themselves is on the other person but it is a being aware of the message that you send sending, a type of attention that you want. And so if there are form fitting clothes that you want to wear that show off your shape are you okay with the potential message that that comes with or the attention that that comes with? So like, it's a very tricky line and it's complicated. It's like women who are my clients, my styling clients that I work with who are women in male main industries. It's how do you find the balance of leaning into your body and dressing in a way that feels good for you, but then also still not sending a message that you might be here for another reason. Yeah. I think
0: it's so, It again, I think it's so complicated. Um, because we want all people to dress what makes them feel comfortable and confident. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, honestly, I just never had a good answer for it, you know? Right. So, and, and, so, and
1: often, you know, be candid, like it's often, you know, it's usually the, the responsibilities on the woman to not make men look at her, but that's, that's not fair, right? Like grown right. men should be able to to behave and, and to know when to keep their hands on themselves and keep their mouths shut if it's inappropriate. So that, balance of things and in and this new environment that we're in of of Me Too and hype uh, and, and increased awareness of these things, it's complicated. It's really and all it goes back to is like confidence and what you feel good in and what risk you are willing to absorb based on your wardrobe choices.
0: Yeah and I'm so liberal I'm like rock out. <laughs> you know I'm like, you know, go be who you are and you know the world should adjust. You know, I mean I think um I just think it's just an interesting I think and it, it's only going to continue to grow. Yeah, um, and we have more women in a male-dominated fields, um, which you know, like like every time we have like a, a new woman head coach in the G League, or it's like a huge celebration. I think there will be one day where it won't be that big a celebration. It'll right. be the norm, right? It'll yeah. yeah. be part of what it is. And I think the more women we have in male-dominated places and workspaces, it will just become the norm. And I think when it becomes a norm, maybe th- these issues will always exist because they've existed since the beginning of time, but they'll just be more understandable. Absolutely, and I even argue that the women
1: who are the trailblazers, or if you are a person of color who's a trailblazer in whatever role that you're in, if while you're doing the trailblazing work, if you assimilate through your image, then you're not as much of a trailblazer. Like you owning your blackness, owning your femininity in that space and how you dress, how you do your hair, how you communicate is true diversity and inclusion because you trying to whitewash yourself to get in that place is not really creating the the, the the next opportunity for the next person of color, the next woman. Like your choices and how you show up are bigger than you because they set the precedence for everyone behind you to get to be themselves as well.
0: Yeah, I, I love the way you, you say that. Um, And it, it, it reminds me of not a woman of color, but a woman who was in a male-dominated field, Elizabeth Holmes, mm-hmm. um, who basically changed her, her whole outfit her the tone of her voice and everything to fit into a male dominated world. Um, and, and, and somehow had all these investors, and people buying into this product, which was a hoax. And she's now, I think she's in prison, she um, but you're saying you see that, are you saying you see that sort of action commonly? Yes. And one thing about Elizabeth Holmes, I remember,
1: I'll never forget watching the Hulu special um, or the Hulu documentary, not documentary, but the, Movie based on her life. When she first started, she was looking a mess. She was too too smart to care about fashion, and she was she was just looking hazard. And her graphic designer said, "If you, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm using my own words here, which is what I tell my clients: No one can hear your message if you look a mess. And so, like, if you can't manage yourself and your image, then people are going to assume that you can't manage." multi-million dollar investment so that's when the whole black turtleneck and the red lipstick thing came for her because it was a uniform or something less to think about but she was still looking polished and i use that example of this is a great way of like whatever uniform and personal brand works for you do it the lowering of the voice and the wearing of the black and the turtle, like the choices of what it was was absolutely grounded in being aware of who your audience is and how Mm -hmm. you can match it and it's always a balance of like 50% 50% of your image should be what's authentic to you and 50% should be what your audience needs and what's appropriate. And how do you make sure that you're not skewing one way too much or the other way?
0: Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point. Um, and I think it's, God, it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. The assimilation, which is taking, which takes place all over the place. All over. Um, but as I obviously taking place in the workplace, more than what we know um and more maybe more than what we can realize and, and maybe and then, but sometimes
1: it maybe not too and and, yeah. and the student athletes who are listening and, and and those in the athletic world your world is also more inherently casual than most other yeah. people right so like or in the way that the workforce is going some folks who are interviewing for jobs may never go into an office right so like there are those dynamics that are at play that um it's just interesting times that we're in right now yeah
0: we, we did this thing with our teams that I, that I loved. Um, we our, our players kind of talked about doing it and then they kind of spearheaded it. They did one day a week where they would dress up and go to class. Oh, uh, and it was really neat to watch how it, how it grew as the years went on. Mm-hmm. Um, because people would then go and try to get different styles and different outfits. And they you never want to rock the same outfit every Friday. Right. So people would change your outfits up and, um, and, but then there was this discussion to, between each other about well, where are you wearing? Where'd you get it from? Are you thrift storing? You know, all these different things. Um, and I just thought it was like, really, I always tell, I think teams should be based on positive peer pressure. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm sure and, the morale was different, right? Like that excitement, but you feel good when you, Oh with, yeah. Like, on, right? when,
0: got, when, when, when they were walking into the, into the, the common space where there's a cafeteria or the library or, Oh, there was some hooting and some hollering uh, because you didn't know what someone was going to wear, but you knew yeah. someone was going to come with something on that day. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, And then we watched it as it kind of transitioned to other sport teams. And um, it was pretty neat just to see, you know, like one, two, and then three people kind of transition it to, It's not it doesn't have to be every day, but All let's right. go one day a week and let's really separate ourselves just a unique, uh, just a unique way. So, if coaches out there listening, if you're able to get your teams to do that. I think that's a great way for them to have a little bit of ownership and have a little bit of fun.
1: And notice again how the morale changes, and ask their students yeah. throughout the day when they're going to class. Did you feel different? Did you perform differently? There's been studies that have shown. Um, there's a, a, a brief little fun fact. There's a study called the white coat study, white lab coat study, where there was um, a group of participants that were told that this painter's coat, like a white coat was just a painter's coat, like an artist's coat. And then the other half of the participants were told that that white coat was a doctor's coat. And the ones that put on the coat thinking it was a doctor's coat who took, a, they both groups took a cognitive exam. Those who had the doctor's coat on had a significantly higher level of attention to detail. And the study concludes that when we put clothes on, they change, clothes change of course, how people perceive us, but how we perceive ourselves. So when you are, you are going to perform differently in a suit when it's versus sweatpants and whatever that performing means. Right. So like your body and your brain say, okay, it's go time. I got on my work outfit. And just like as a uniform, right. When you put on your, when you put on your your practice practice Jersey versus your game day Jersey, it's a different mindset and your clothes are the exact same thing.
0: Yeah. I would have faculty members and, um, and professors and deans come up to me and, and talk to me about that through different points of the year um, and I'd like to say I took all the credit for it, but I didn't, I, I gave the credit to the players cause I thought what a great way. So I think that impact, like they noticed that difference in what Absolutely. they are wearing and how they're operating. Um, they noticed the difference that it provided in their classroom. So speaking more to the, to the white lab coat, um, activity, um, it definitely makes and feels different for, for many. Love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you're obviously a, a an acclaimed speaker and you also come in and do workshops. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the workshops because this is sort of fascinating to me. You know, if you come in and work with when you work with student athletes or what are, what are some of the key things you want to want to establish at the beginning of a workshop? And then where do you want that to sort of end?
1: One of my favorite parts about uh, the working with college students is helping them find for themselves a term that I've called authentically appropriate. And so how, Going into interviews, going on to campus, um, it's not about whitewashing, it's not about playing small, it's not about looking like everyone else. I'm not here to tell you to wear a black suit or pantyhose or straighten your hair or cut off your dreadlocks. It is how can you dress in a way that feels good to you, whether um, when I work at the University of Florida students, we partnered with Dillard's and, and had a fashion show in the store and, and the kids got some money to go shopping. And I put one of the young men, a, a wide receiver and an orange blazer that looks very similar to the one behind me. Like, how do you how do you show yourself and have fun, but still look appropriate? Another thing that I love working with college students on in those workshops is um, <laughs> don't spend your money on dumb shit. Like, how do, we, how do we how do we how do we once you get your checks or NILS checks or, you know, whatever your your your, um, your work study check, what are the things in your wardrobe? that you should invest in. And by invest, I mean, not doesn't need to be designer, but the what should you spend wisely that's going to last and what are the things that you shouldn't spend a lot of money on. So we really kind of break down, um, like for men, don't spend a lot of money on polo sh- shirts, but spend a good amount of um, money on like dress shirts or like denim versus slacks, like all of those kind of nuances, like where to shop for those things. Because you're students, you, you don't have unlimited budget, but I want you to make wise choices and, and not look, cheap, essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's good. I mean, I think that opportunity to be able to do there, especially with the NIL right now uh, and with the amount of money that's going to be pushed mm-hmm. into athletic departments. Um, I think programs like that can really be a, a place for you uh, yeah. to come in and really work with people. I um, love
1: getting to do this. And, and as part of the NIL, NILS, like your face and your image is now, Part of your paycheck. So how are you? How are you using your wardrobe to communicate and be hireable to brands to represent that brand on 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 their behalf?
0: Yeah, you're certainly representing so much more right now than um, just the jersey number that you're having. Absolutely. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the NIL is that um, I do think over time it will help us separate the person from the player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know yeah. where I think for. I think athletes and coaches are the only people that are one thing all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, the the garbage man is a garbage man at work and he's a father at home, right? Um, The teacher at at school is a teacher there and then she's a mother at home, right? Whatever, whatever dichotomy you have there. But for coaches and players, it's like, this guy should be working on his game all year long at 24 hours a day. He should be in the gym. He's um, never not an athlete. He's sure. never not an athlete. Right. Um, and so I think that's like a. I think that's an interesting way to be able to separate yourself from that and and to feel more accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we deal with with athletes uh, is that they feel like they are their sport. Um, and that there is no separation from that. So when it ends, your entire identity is caught up in one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I like this ability to have style as as something else and allowing you to show yourself a little bit differently.
1: It's about building your personal brand. And and I know that's like a cliche word that's out there right now, but in the age of social media and visibility, everyone has to be thinking about their personal brand. And as an, an athlete, being an athlete is only a certain percent of your personal brand, right? Like what are the other elements that you are gonna put on LinkedIn, are gonna put on social media, other areas of your life? And again, what is your wardrobe and your image going to support those things? It's part of how, how you communicate who you are with the world. Um, we are at, I wasn't thinking about a personal brand when I was 17, 18, 19, 20 in college, but that's that's a luxury that's no longer available to these students.
0: Yeah, and then and being able to have the expertise around them to, to help them understand the the, the weight one way or the other.
1: Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah.
0: You know, I want to dive in a little bit. I mean, um, you know, obviously you you have a great book, um, but I we're gonna talk about that in a second. But I want to talk about your podcast first. Um, I want to talk about the Worthy Reveal, um, and what you learned. Well, number one, let's start here. Why did you start a podcast? Number one. I started the podcast
1: um, because I wanted I wanted to have the space where you s- have conversations with people about times when they were playing small. I think I love talking about worthiness, and I think that why we are all born inherently worthy, we are all on a journey to discover that worthiness within ourselves and live in it. And getting to talk to to people and names and rock stars literally and say like when did you play small when were you, when did you not feel confident and when what made you feel like you finally own your worth those are the conversations that i'd love to have because we're all on that journey i think you know again back into social media we see people post the photo of the the after the storm they've been through but we don't see the storm mm. when they're in the storm and we all have that story of times when we haven't liked ourselves or loved ourselves
0: uh, give me a couple examples of playing small they are in the case of
1: lgbtq plus people hiding literally in the closet or feeling like they had to dress in certain ways or hide that part of their identity um there is a client of mine who was a, a black woman who told me that she hired me because she looked around one day at work and saw that she realized that she was wearing black every day to blend into the conference room chairs because she hated her job and didn't want to be seen by her wow. white male tech people, that was an example of playing small. Another way of playing small is um, a woman I met—I uh, won't say where. Um, she came, started this job, and she had this beautiful head of dreadlocks. A black woman and a older black man executive said, "You're gonna have to cut those in order to be taken seriously here." And this was a couple years ago, and she did. She—I like, was crying in the in the, um, in the hair salon. Um, and and that plain small was her checking part of herself at the door. I think, uh, I, like there's I I remember there was um a client or I was at a workshop and an older white man started crying. I'm like, what are you crying? Like, why why are you so emotional? And he shared that he was a 20 year Marine vet, but he hid that part of himself because he was in HR and he didn't want people to think that Marines are mean and that those are like all of these things like we. Yeah, we, everyone checks parts of themselves at the door at some point, and and the more that we can share those parts, the more we really become an inclusive society.
0: Yeah, what what would you say is one? Of, what is what, what would you say are some of the things you've learned while while hosting and, and guiding a podcast?
1: When I've been guiding a podcast, it is that everybody has a story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very few people, I will say, have self-loved figured out immediately and confidence to be themselves immediately. Like it is absolutely a journey. And again, when you see the models and the famous people on TV, we think that they have had life figured out all the time, but it's, that's not the case.
0: Yeah. There's so much power. What we say in class? There's power in the pause, Mm -hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. there's power in the story. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I've enjoyed that too, being able to have guests on and listen to them share their stories, and you know, ask questions that maybe they hadn't been asked before, hadn't thought about before, and, and kind of having to be able to do that. Um, now, let's get to your book, The Worthy Wardrobe: Your Guide to Style, Shopping, mm-hmm. and Soul. Um, I, I, you know, in our conversation, I, I love how much you you use. Again, we talk about uh, fashion as a superpower, but you talk about your wardrobe and you talk about this connection with your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Uh, you know, I, had, I not, hadn't viewed it that way. No. You know, How many times I wake up and I, I'm i in a bad mood, so I put on dark clothes or I'm going to get on light clothes. You know, I just hadn't viewed it that like the sign that I'm giving the world is, uh, is how my soul is feeling on that day. So um, I love that. Um, I love that connection. Um, speak a little bit about your book um, and why you felt the need to write it. I think it's some memoir um, and some creative story. So just talk a little bit about that.
1: For me, I'm, there was a client that there's a client story that I, I don't put in the book, but I, I, I put in uh, the speech that, that I've been working on recently that was the, the caveat of why I'm need to write this book. And this client was a woman who on the outside looked like she was having it, had it all. And perfect body. She had babies. She had a hot husband she had money to spend. And I kept pulling all these items for her and she didn't like any of them. And it turns out that she didn't like who she was and she didn't feel like she was worthy of being seen. And so for me, I wrote the book because I was like, I need women before they start working with me to learn to love themselves. Because until you love yourself, you make my job really fucking difficult because I'm never going to be able to make you happy. Because if you're not happy with who you're on the inside, you're never going to like reflection that you see on the outside Uh um and also it was part of again my story because someone might say oh she's a wardrobe stylist she's always loved clothes no i i i loved clothes but i didn't love wearing them i didn't like the attention i didn't think that i was worthy of being seen i was the only black girl in my minnesota public school for a long time i was the tallest one i had the biggest hips and the biggest butt at the like age of at the age of eight so i spent most of my life hiding in big and baggy clothes. And it wasn't until I did my own self-love work and worthiness work and changed my life that I felt confident being seen. So I wanted women and even the men who have read the book have said it's helped them understand women better and also themselves when it comes to how they show up in the world.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's really good. Uh, it's really good and they're really passionate. You know, I've had a chance to hear some excerpts of your speech. So uh, I know how passionate you are about this connection. Um, and so I'm, I'm just appreciative of you taking the time. Um, you know, we do this thing here on last call. Um, it's the end of the night. The bartender has rung the bell. Um, and it's the last call. That's the name of the show, obviously yep. on the left side of you, you have someone who's retired okay. on the right side of you. You have someone who's still actively working, mm. no family. What two people do you have beside you at the end of the night? Someone who's
1: retired and someone who's actively working. Yep. I would say the person who's quote unquote retired is Stacy London. She's a wardrobe stylist who had the the show on TLC, What Not to Wear. Um, mm-hmm. having my own TV show is like one of my goals. stacy's doing other things, but um that is what she does, what she did for that TV show inspired me and and, and being a stylist. I think someone who is still working um, ironically, she's older, but Marion Williamson, who is a spiritual book author um, speaker, she's a presidential candidate right now. She inspires me from a, t- applying your faith and your spirituality to all areas of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I quote her a lot in my book. I had a chance to meet her a couple of months ago. Um, and that to me is, again, is me being someone who's so about worthiness that comes from knowing in your spirit who you are. And I think that that knowingness of who you are and that confidence then exudes in everything, how you play basketball, how you dress, how you, how you take care of your body, how you perform at work. That's the core of who you are is a really important starting point.
0: I love it. I love it. Morgan, you've been amazing.
1: Thank you for having me. This was so fun.
0: (laughs) I love it. Thanks for joining us on Last Call. We will see you soon. Thank you for joining us on The Last Call, powered by Speakeasy, where careers grow through relationships and relationships grow through Speakeasy. We hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to connecting with you soon.